Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of the College 12-Pack Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, Managing Editor of the College Sports Wire, Senior Editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. Second episode this week kind of feels weird. As we were recording last time, uh, we were just hearing about the Pat Fitzgerald new allegations coming out. He's been since fired and really leaving no, you know, Northwestern in, in a bit of a bit of a situation because normally when a coach gets fired, there's ample time to interview, to go through the process, to hire a uh, a coaching search committee. Uh, but here we are in, in in July, just roughly six to eight weeks, uh, depending on when your team kicks off the season. Away, they really don't have time for that, Tyler. And um, reports say it's going to be David Braun who's going to be the the interim head coach going to lead it for maybe at least a season. Uh, do they have any other options at this point? No, not really. Um, obviously, you know, never an ideal situation when you're trying to replace a coach in July. Um, it's just, you know, having to do it in January or February is late. Um, doing it in July, you just really can't. So, yeah, I mean, this situation obviously progressed a lot since we recorded on Monday. Um, you know, Fitzgerald's obviously fired uh, the student newspaper, which had been breaking all this information about the hazing, uh, hazing allegations, then comes out with another report uh, detailing, you know, racism and, and, and race, racial remarks from, from the coaching staff, from Fitzgerald specifically. Um, and that kind of ultimately is what, what does him in, I think. But, you know, talking about what, how Northwestern moves forward from this, I think it's going to be tough, you know, it, look, disregarding for a second the, the whole aspect of a July coaching surge. It's going to be tough because you're dealing with a potentially uh, big problem here legally with Pat Fitzgerald. So obviously uh, he gets fired. He lawyers up immediately. Uh, Andy Staples of On3 reports that he's got $42 million approximately left on his contract and he's going to fight tooth and nail to get that. Um, and just from a legal perspective, he might have a case because – Northwestern following an internal or an investigation from a law firm they hired with that information, they came to a mutual agreement to suspend him for two weeks in their statement. When they fired him, it's important to acknowledge that they, they recognize new media reporting, but not I'm paraphrasing, but not new additional information. So they're not really saying that they learned new things that led to him getting fired. Um, they're basically claiming that, I mean, it's, it sounds like, you know, it was the media reaction and the fact that everyone found out about it. So he's going to ar- obviously argue that um, this is a mess, obviously going to probably get settled in court, but it's going to hang over the program for a really long time. Pat Fitzgerald has a lot of supporters in his corner. It's going to make it tough probably for any new coach that would come in. This is just a bad situation. You know, it's interesting. Um, I thought journalism was dead. Uh, we got the students newspaper there at Northwestern breaking all this. You know, it's going to be interesting though. I think, when you look at the program itself and how you move forward with all the allegations that were coming forward, 
Uh, I think you have to go outside the program, and maybe they have the right guy in David Braun because he did come from outside the program. This would have been his first season. He was most recently uh, in 2019 through 2022 with North Dakota State, and, and now he's coming first time that he's coached at the Power Five level, uh, and he's got a lot on his plate now. You know, we thought he was just going to be the defensive coordinator, but it sounds like now it's, according to reports by Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Uh, Pete Thamel, it seems like it's going to be him as the interim head coach, at least for this upcoming season. We'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, yeah. You know, but that's that's where we are right now. We don't know a whole lot, but as we get more information, obviously we'll pass that along, and you can always check that out at collegesportswire.usatoday.com. Uh, Tyler, let's get into the MLB draft that just came up, and I know we're really going to focus here on the top of the draft. Uh, there were some reports coming out. There was a, maybe it was a smoke screen, maybe not. Uh, it seemed like Wyatt Langford was a guy who was considered to be a number one overall pick uh, go, going to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And ultimately, it was Paul Skeens who goes number one, followed that up by Dylan Cruz going number two to Washington. You know, looking at that, the first time we've seen teammates go one, two in a draft, but was it ever anybody but Paul Skeens, especially with how he performed all season long? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Like, so, you know, most of the mocks going in all year really had Dylan Cruz actually as the first pick in the draft to the Pirates. Um, it kind of seemed like leading up to the draft. So he was reportedly, uh, Kyla McDaniel from ESPN said he was asking for like, nor- like nearly $10 million, uh, which would have been a record signing bonus for the first overall pick. Um, basically sounds like he didn't really want to play for Pittsburgh. Uh, so they go in a different direction. I think the logic was the logic with the Wyatt Langford thing, whether that was a smokescreen or not was, well, they want to take a college guy in such a talented class. They want an outfielder. So why not go Langford? But instead they go with Skeens, who's the best pitching prospect in the draft and a guy who a lot of people see as one of the best pitching prospects of all time. So, uh, hard to go wrong with that. I think the surprise was Detroit. At number three, we all thought Wyatt Langford. They go with the Gatorade National Player of the Year, high school outfielder, pitcher, Max Clark. Uh, as a Ranger guy, I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're getting Max Clark. And, and then all of a sudden, Wyatt Langford is sitting there. And, and, you know, arguably, you could make a case that he's a better prospect than Dylan Cruz from a power's perspective, uh, just because, I, you know, I think Dylan Cruz is probably the better hitter all around. Uh, but but Wyatt's gonna he's gonna hit those tape measure shots for you, mm-hmm. um, and and you know how they are they love the long ball at the in the game. But you know I think that was the biggest surprise really in the top four because nothing else really seemed surprising. He didn't go top five, but Wyatt Langford sliding to Texas at four to me was a huge shock. Yeah, that was pretty surprising, and I know you're happy about that obviously as a as a Rangers guy. But yeah, I mean, you know, Langford, a guy that, you know, people were talking about as being potentially the first pick in the draft. Um, but, but, you know, he ends up being one of a number of guys that stood out in Omaha that goes early in the draft. You know, obviously we talked about Skeens and Cruz, but also Rhett Lauder goes high. Um, you know, Kyle Teal goes high. Chase Dolander goes in the top 10, uh, despite actually struggling a little bit in Omaha. A lot of talent there, though. So yeah, um, it, was a, it was a really interesting draft. Obviously, big one for LSU. They set a program record, had 13 players picked, which led all programs in the draft. But, yeah, it was a fun weekend. Well, I think, you know, it's it's very similar. I think it reminded me of that 2020 NFL draft uh, following the national championship run with Joe Burrow 
uh, Chase and all those guys. It was very similar. They win the title, and then basically their team gets gutted in the draft. We'll see how many actually decide to go the pro route if they want to try and, and uh, you know, Jake Brown's another guy I think that you've been kind of keeping your eye on. I, th- I think it's Jake Brown. Uh, pitcher gets drafted by the Rangers, mm-hmm. but he's committed to play at LSU, so we'll kind of see uh, yeah. what happens there. All right, so let's get into what we were going to discuss today. We're doing ACC Notre Dame. Uh, much like we've done in each of the other three previews for the 2023 season, we're going to kick things off with the offensive MVP. Now, it's a little different because Notre Dame isn't, actual, isn't actually a member of the ACC, but we are including them because they play a lot of ACC teams, uh, including Wake Forest, North Carolina State, Clemson, uh, you, you could go on and on. So we're going to include them in our storylines. But as we start the offensive MVP, I'm going to stick with uh, a kid out of my home state of Texas, Cade Klubnick. You know, I think a guy who uh, last year, he did some good things, but he didn't really take over. Uh, and another fellow Texan, West Texas guys going there, Garrett Riley. I don't know. You might have heard of him. He's the brother of a prominent coach out west. Um, but he's going to be the new offensive coordinator taking over Brandon Streeter. I really think that the the marriage between the two is going to be good, especially considering uh, he made Max Duggan a household name at TCU last year on their run uh, to that national championship appearance. Yeah, a little, little bit of projection going on with that pick just because we haven't seen a ton of Cade Klubnik so far. But, I mean, I, no reason to – I mean, the talent's there. I think that the addition of Garrett Riley was really smart. I mean, I think this is going to work out well. I think the question is just like how well in year one. Um, but that's a good pick. I'm going with the layup, though. Uh, you know, the guy that everyone's talking about. We're going to be talking about a lot more as we approach the 2024 NFL draft. I got Drake May, the quarterback from North Carolina. Comes in last year replacing Sam Howell. You know, not a lot of expectations for him. You know, he's a redshirt freshman, new to a starting role. But he really breaks out and has an incredible season, um, you know, He's named the ACC uh, player of the year. He sets or ties pretty much every single season uh, program record for passing in North Carolina Has a really great year. And I think he's set to expand upon that. You know, they lose their offensive coordinator in Phil Longo, who was going to Wisconsin, but they bring in Chip Lindsay, a guy who's been around the block, uh, former uh, offensive coordinator at Auburn, most recently came from UCF, uh, was also the head coach at Troy for a little bit. So he, he knows what he's doing from that regard. I think this will work out pretty well. Um, you know, he does lose his best receiver in Josh Downs, but they did bring in a couple transfers in Devontae Walker and Nate McCollum. Uh, so I think that, you know, he's set to pretty much replicate the kind of year he had last year, if not take an even bigger step forward. And he's probably going to find himself as a top five pick in the draft next year. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, you know, because going into this year, it's Caleb Williams, Drake May, who's QB1. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to go with Caleb Williams for good reason. Um, you know, he's lived up to the hype as the number one quarterback. I thought the interesting part was we kind of had the both – we both had the same sentiment here. It was almost – it was really hard for me anyway to not go with Jordan Travis here, mm-hmm. quarterback of Florida State. I, it's just really when it comes down to it, which team do I think performs better? And I know it shouldn't be that way with offensive MVPs, uh, but Clemson is, uh, is a team that's known to win year in and year out, and we know what Drake May did last year. Uh, let's get into defensive MVPs. Uh, let's start here. We'll start with you. Now, you we didn't pick the guy from Tallahassee, but you're going with the Tallahassee kid this time uh, yeah. as far as your defensive MVP in the, in the ACC. 
Yeah, this kind of feels like another layup, but I'm going with Jared Verse, the edge rusher from Florida State. I mean, really phenomenal defensive player. So a guy that, you know, probably could have been a first-round pick last year. Um, he transfer, transfers in from Albany, uh, ends up having a huge year. He finishes with, let me see, I got in front of me, nine sacks and 16 and a half tackles for loss. So really great production in his first year in Tallahassee. Like I said, uh, was ranked as a top 30 prospect in the draft, so could have gone pro easily decides to come back to Florida state. And now he's getting potential first overall pick hype. I mean, this is a really talented player and he's going to anchor a defense for Florida state that could be really, really good. And a team that could be really, really good. You know, we'll talk about them more as we get on, but I think this is kind of the year for Mike Norvell's squad to take a leap. And part of the reason for that is because of all they return on both sides of the ball and defensively it's, I mean, there's no one who's going to be more impactful than verse if he stays healthy. Yeah. Verse is a guy who, I consistently mocked in the first round last year, top 15, top 20, uh, depending on, you know, who needed a defensive end. Uh, but ultimately, like you said, chose to stay. Great pick. I'm going back to Clemson. I'm going with Jeremiah Trotter. Uh, playing NFL linebacker is in his genes. Obviously, uh, his father, Jeremiah Trotter, played many years in Philadelphia. Uh, he's a guy, you look at what he was able to do last year with 89 tackles. 13 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, scored a touchdown, passes, defense, forced fumble. The guy can do it all. I think uh, he's a great talent at the linebacker position. And uh, he's a guy that I really think, you know, I see this as a, as a two horse race, whether it's Jeremiah Trotter or Jared Burse. Pick your flavor of ice cream, uh, but they're going to make an impact on that side of the ball. All right. So let's. Let's dive into our breakout performers this year. I'm going to go with Mitch Griffiths. If he's not a name that you're familiar with, you might want to get familiar with him. Uh, he is taking over the quarterback spot down in Wake Forest with Sam Hartman now moving to Notre Dame. Uh, this is going to give him an opportunity. And you really have to – it's hard not to go with the quarterback who's coached by Dave Clawson, who does a fantastic job. Uh, really an underrated head coach uh, in college football. I, I think he does a fantastic job. And I, I don't – I know they're going to miss some because, obviously, you know, Hartman was their all-time leading passer by the time that he leaves. Uh, but I, I think Griffiths can step in and, and uh, help alleviate some of the lost production that they're going to have uh, with Hartman gone. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously big opportunity for him this year. guy we haven't seen a ton of, but uh, a scheme that's really, you know, beneficial to quarterbacks. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to, to be productive in it as Sam Hartman proved. Um, so, but I'm going with the guy that we've already talked about. I'm going back to Cade Klubnik. And I think a breakout player for him is a little bit more, um, I guess just more of a conservative estimate because I think that as we saw, especially in that Tennessee game, because he was great. I mean, Dabo probably should have played him earlier in the year, if we're being honest. Um, you know, I think with the struggles that DJU had, like, I think, uh, you know, he comes in and leads, Kate comes in and leads a, a game-winning drive against Syracuse, but that doesn't win him the job. He ultimately wins it uh, in the ACC championship with a breakout performance against North Carolina. Isn't as good in their Orange Bowl loss to Tennessee. Um, so I think we kind of saw that while he's talented, it's not, you know, it's not going to be, you know, a straight trajectory. Like there's going to be ups and downs. And I think we're going to see that some this year. I think we're going to see some struggles, but I do think that it's a big upgrade going to Garrett Riley from a Brandon Streeter offense. So I expect him to have a big year. Um, I just, my question I think is not just with him, but it's also with this offense in general, like where are the receivers? You know, it's been a while since Clemson's really been putting out elite receiver talent. And I think, 
I just have questions about whether this team has the playmakers to make his life easy this year. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. But you look back at, at some of the things that Cade was doing, you know, even at the high school level. I mean, you're playing 6A in Texas. That's the elite of the elite. That's the top level. Uh, you saw what he did there. Uh, but, yeah, it's really – it's going to be – they're going to – somebody's going to have to step up. Um, it can't only be Cade Clubnick. They're going to need a wide receiver who's going to step up. That next Justin Ross or, or mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and, and as they continue to recruit and having Garrett Riley there, and I think it'll be a lot easier for them to bring some of those top-level talents and maybe just choosing other schools in recent years. Um, you know, when you look at our biggest question marks, um, you know, this, this is where it's going to be interesting. Uh, for me, I'm going to talk about the team that Sam Hartman just went to. Uh, and I'm talking about Notre Dame. Uh, my big question with their offense, you have Gerard Parker, who's the new offense coordinator. And that whole situation where they tried to look at, at guys and Notre Dame wasn't willing to deal out the cash, which kind of leads back to the whole Brian Kelly leaving uh, because they wouldn't invest financially in the program. And he looks for the first opportunity to leave, goes to LSU, and you saw what he did last year. Obviously, you know, you cover that team on a day-to-day basis. But looking at Gerard Parker, from 2020 to 2021, he was the offense coordinator, wide receivers coach at West Virginia. But let's be honest, that's Neil Brown's offense. Uh, so what does he look like when he's running his own offense? You've got Marcus Freeman, defensive-minded coach. He's you know kind of the walk-around CEO. Uh, but there's not a huge offensive influence coming from him. How does Gerard Parker's offense look uh, this year in Notre Dame? That's my biggest question. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, you know, they bring in Sam Hartman and that's a move that, you know, just on his face, like, great, that's perfect move. I mean, he's a great quarterback. He's going to elevate this offense tremendously, I think. But like you said, you know, you lose Tommy Reese and you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator who after, you know, whiffing on a couple of options that you wanted more, it's not the best look for the program right now, but that doesn't mean they can't be successful in 2023. Um, But I think, they clearly need to take a step forward because I think among other things, the the offense was really lacking last year. Um, But, you know, I think it's fitting that I'm going to now talk about for my biggest question mark is the team that Sam Hartman just left, uh, which is Wake Forest. You know, I think a team that's really overachieved a lot with Dave Clawson, who I think is one of the best coaches in the entire country uh, for what he's been able to do there. One of the harder jobs in the power five, but it's, going to be hard to replace a guy of Sam Hartman's caliber. I mean, you talked about Mitch Griffiths, who, you know, has a lot of potential. We, we've really only seen him in extended action once. It was uh, week one last year against VMI when uh, Hartman was still recovering from the blood clots. Um, and he was very good in that game. Uh, but again, FCS opponent, like, I don't know how much you can read into that. But, you know, I still expect that this Wake team will be solid this year. I just... Can they sustain the recent success they've had, especially with, you know, North Carolina being back up, Florida State being back up? You know, there's no divisions in this conference anymore. I I just, I don't know. I I don't know about Wake. I feel like Wake could easily kind of fall into the middle of the pack here. Is there a team that you look at and you could go either way? Either they're going to have a really good season or they could have a really bad season. Mm -hmm. Um, You kind of don't know. And I'm kind of banking on Mitch Griffith's with his, you know, potential. Uh, but we know how banking on potential can come. It can bite you in the butt uh, later down the road. All right, let's get into under pressure here. 
And uh, so here under pressure, I want to know, Tyler, who are you looking at uh, right now that they really are going to feel the heat this year in the ACC? Yeah, my eyes are down on South Beach and uh, Miami and Mario Cristobal. I mean, look, I I think that um, this was like a no-brainer hire when Miami made it. Um, convincing him to leave Oregon looked like a slam dunk. Um, you know, it it didn't really work out that way in year one, though. It, it was pretty bad. I mean, they went five and seven, which I get it. You're you know you're inheriting a tough situation. You're it's a rebuild. It's going to take time, but they really did not show any signs of life at all last year. I mean, he's got leeway here. Don't get me wrong. But again, year one just didn't cut it. They need to get a lot better this season because they're investing in him. You know, they're putting the resources into the program that <clears throat> have kind of been lacking for quite a long time. They need that to pay off because, you know, this was kind of their big gamble here on Mario Cristobal and making everything finally work. But they've got a lot of questions on this roster. You know, they don't really have a clear quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke, Tyler Van Dyke is probably going to be that guy, but he wasn't great last year when he had a lot of expectations coming in. Uh, you know, I mean, they've they've recruited really well under Cristobal. They're acquiring talent, so the long term trajectory here is decent. But like to some extent, you still got to find success on the field. I mean, you can't wait till twenty twenty five to finally start putting you know putting it into action. So I think this is just a team that is going to feel a lot of pressure if they have another mediocre season. I, I don't think – I mean, Mario's not going to get fired in year two, I don't think, but he'll enter year three in a really tough situation if they don't take a significant step forward. And we'll get more into Miami in a moment, but uh, I'm going to talk about Syracuse. Uh, Dino Babbers, he was on the hot seat last year. They start out 6-0. and uh, They get a top 15 win over North Carolina State. And all of a sudden, everything is going is great in upstate New York. But that's when the wheels came off. Uh, they finished, you know, one in six, losing a pinstripe bowl game in their home state to Minnesota. Uh, didn't look great for Dino Babbers down the stretch. So, really, going into this season for me, Syracuse under a lot of pressure. Um, and once again, Dino Babers finds himself on the hot seat. Yeah, um, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I'm actually just going to take it a step further because, you know, the next thing we're getting into is which of these coaches and which of these teams really need a winning season in 2023. And to me, there's no one uh, in this entire conference that needs one more than Dino Babers does uh, up in upstate New York. So, you know, like you said, they, they start 6-0 and last year. He enters the year on the hot seat and seems to reverse that with the 6-0 and start. You know, everything's everything's pretty happy. And then they lose five in a row. Um, the season just doesn't end the way that they hope it would seven and six ultimately is enough for him to keep that job. I don't think they really had any desire to undergo a coaching search last off season. Will it be enough this time? I kind of, I don't know. You know, I, they lose a lot. They bring back Garrett Schrader, who's a solid quarterback, not a great one, but a solid one, but they do lose, uh, Sean Tucker. Who's, you know, was the main reason for their offensive success last year. One of the best running backs in the entire country is going to be tough to replace. I just, I don't really see how this team takes a step forward from where it was last year. And if it takes much of a step back at all, I think Dino Babers is in serious trouble. Yeah. I honestly don't see how he survives the season, uh, but he's going to definitely feel the pressure. Like you said, and losing Tucker uh, is a massive blow to that offense and they're, they're going to have trouble. You know what? I'm going to go with the team that you talked about under pressure. Who needs a winning season? I think Miami needs a winning season. We saw how it went down last year. 
losses to Middle Tennessee State and a down Texas A&M team uh, before they found a little footing later on down in the season. That, those were two really bad losses for Miami. Uh, they scapegoated Josh Gaddis, who's now at Maryland, uh, going to run the offense there. Uh, I, I really don't think Gaddis so much was the problem, as there were a lot of problems down on South Beach. Uh, again, I'm not ready to put Mario Cristobal on the proverbial hot seat, uh, but he needs to at least win seven games this year, I think, uh, just to stave off any kind of conversation. Uh, with the what they've been doing on the recruiting trails, as you alluded to, they're doing well on the recruiting trail, but where is it? Where are we seeing it on the field? And that's really what they need to do. And I think if they can get some wins, that'll help them. Uh, but for me, Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes definitely need a winning season uh, this this upcoming year. Yeah, I think I'm glad you pointed out just real quick that uh, I forgot to mention that you know they are changing both their coordinators going into year two. That's a, I mean, that's another tough situation to find yourself in. So a lot of questions there. All right, so let's talk about some more positive stuff. You know, we talked about the negative. Let's get positive. Who's going to be your surprise team in 2023? Yeah, I, um, I've got Louisville here. So I think – I don't know if there's a team that's more pleased with how the offseason went than Louisville is. Um, I mean, frankly, you know, their Scott Satterfield problem kind of solved itself, right? I mean, he's a guy who I don't think they were particularly happy with. Um he didn't really ingratiate himself with the fan base a ton early on by flirting with like the South Carolina job um, had just some things like that, that rub people the wrong way and his success on the field wasn't great, but they had some recruiting to back it up. So he stuck around for a little bit, but obviously leaves after last year goes to Cincinnati and now Louisville is able to bring back their, you know, the, the chosen one in, in Jeff Brom. He turned them down a couple years ago to stay at Purdue. This time they're able to bring him home. I think they're all really happy about that. You know, so obviously this is a team that looking at the, the 2023 roster, you do lose your quarterback in Malik Cunningham, who's one of the best players in the entire ACC. But, you know, you bring in Jack Plummer, who was the starting quarterback for Purdue, or, or at least played uh, quarterback for Purdue for a lot under Brom. He's coming in, in addition to a lot of offensive transfers, um, just a lot of new pieces on this team. They did a lot to, to kind of, you know, replenish this offseason. And I, I think, you know, coming off an eight and five season, it's not like the cupboard was bare in the first place. Um, you know, I think this team has potential could overachieve when you start looking at teams outside of kind of the, the, the proven ones in this conference. I think this one is, you know, one of the more talented teams that could kind of take a leap this year. You know, I agree with you on that one. And, you know, that was a team that I was leaning on, but for argument's sake, I'll let you have that one. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Georgia tech uh, under you know, under Brent Key, they went four and four. Uh, I, you know, we we talked about this prior to the recording. You know, maybe they were a year ahead uh, under Brent Key, but you really had to like with how they played. Yeah, you finished four and four, not great, but as, with an interim coach, you go five hundred under him. Uh, I really like the way things were going there, at Georgia Tech, and we'll see how does this Haynes King work out for them playing quarterback. Um, you know, maybe he's in a better situation than the, the pressure cooker he was under in College Station. Uh, all, everybody always, you know, looking over your shoulder at the next guy, at the next guy, especially with Connor Wegman there. Uh, so I think looking at what they can do in Atlanta, I really like Georgia Tech this year. It's a surprise some people. Uh, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility to go 6-6 six and six and earn a bowl bid. 
yeah, you know, give Brent Key a lot of credit. Um, when he was elevated to the interim role, I think he was a real long shot uh, to get that job full time. I don't think there was really much of a chance of that happening at the time. Obviously, he earns it uh, with the way that they finished the season down the stretch. Really impressive. You know, they kind of just unlock a level of play we hadn't really seen at all under Jeff Collins. So it was pretty impressive to see, and that earns him the job. Um, you know, whether he can continue that is going to be tough. You know, obviously. You know, we see Georgia Tech is still kind of continuing their transition away from the triple. They never really got that solid. You know, we'll see if King is the quarterback that, you know, can take them to the next level. I think this is a team to keep an eye on. I don't know if they're going to overachieve and upset anyone. But I think, like you, I think, like you said, I think six, seven wins, I think getting to a bowl game, that would be a really good sign of, of progress here for Brent Key. I think that's a win uh, if you yeah. get six to seven wins. Uh, I think, you know, the Georgia Tech – Faithful will be very happy with that, considering how things have looked over the years. Uh, let's get into our dark horse picks for the ACC this year before we get into our title game picks. Uh, I'm going with North Carolina State here, and I know they lost Devin Leary, the quarterback, to Kentucky. Uh, but they had a pretty good one. Uh, Brandon Armstrong, who was at Virginia, obviously he looked really off last year. New, You know, getting a new offensive coordinator, I don't place all the blame on him. Uh, so he gets a pass for me, but I do think he's still talented. Um, and he goes into a North Carolina state team that again, like we said, the cover's not bare there. Um, they obviously are a talented football team and now, uh, they solved their quarterback issues with the losses that they had to deal with over the off season in the transfer portal, most notably Devin Leary leaving to go to Kentucky. Yeah, I thought the Brennan Armstrong edition was a really good kind of consolation prize to losing Devin Leary in the portal. You know, um, a guy that I think is probably, I agree, I think more likely going to go back to more what we saw in like 2021 from Brennan Armstrong. Dave Dorn's a really consistent coach. This program's always solid, never elite, but always solid, um, always kind of in that mix in that second tier in the ACC. So in pretty much any given year, that's going to be a pretty smart dark horse pick. Um, but yeah, so, so for me, I'm going with a, a different team in the state of North Carolina. I'm going with Duke, who I think probably was one of the bigger surprise teams in the entire country last year. Um, but they come into this year, I think, with real expectations. You know, uh, under Mike Elko last year, year one, they go nine and four. No one really saw that one coming, but they do it with, uh, you know, a really promising quarterback and Riley Leonard. He's coming back for another year. Uh, and they also return most of their offensive weapons, um, you know. They end the season last year five and one. Their only loss in that stretch is a two point loss to Pitt. They end the year with a blowout win over Georgia Tech and I mean, uh, sorry, over uh, UCF in the military bowl. Like the, the trajectory here is really good. They, I mean, they really did just overachieve a lot in year one. You know, Mike Elko is a defensive guy. He's got a great track record there. So I think, you know, you kind of have a level of expectation with a Mike Elko coach defense. Um, and when you look outside of the, the elite teams in the conference, you know, the Clemsons, the FSUs, maybe UNC, if the defense can figure it out outside of those teams, I'm not sure there's a more complete roster in this entire league than Duke. Um, so I, I think that they're definitely a, a dark horse and could even be a title game team. If, you know, one of Clemson or FSU underachieves. Oh yeah, I agree. I think the job that, that Leonard did on that offense, uh, he's a breakout star. I think, candidate uh for this upcoming season he did really well last year he he to me he's like one of the top five quarterbacks in the acc so he's definitely going to be him and that offense and that team are going to be a team to bury but you want to keep your eye on 
Uh, but if we're talking about title games, and we're going to go with the picks, obviously, normally what we do is I pick a team from one division, you pick a team from another division, that's who's going to face off. But ACC doesn't have divisions, it's one division. Uh, so I'm mean, once again going back to South Carolina, and I'm picking the Clemson Tigers. You look at Garrett Riley coming in with that offense. A uh, guy we have not talked about was Will Shipley, one of the best running backs in the ACC. I think he continues uh, in to have, show his prowess in the rushing game and as a receiver. Uh, we know how they will like to use the receivers in the uh, wide oh, – I'm sorry, like to use the running backs in the receiving game. Uh, that would be a Riley special. Uh, so, for me, Clemson, that offense is the reason why I think they're going back to the ACC title game. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's, I think that's, I, I totally agree. And, you know, even though I talked about some questions I have about Clemson that maybe are going to limit them from being a playoff contending team this year, I still think just that roster is talented enough to be, if not the best team in the ACC, at least probably the second best this year. So I think that's a pretty safe pick for the title game. Um, and I'm going with another safe pick. I'm staying in my backyard. I got FSU. Um, you know, I think Mike Norvell for the first time is entering a year with pretty significant expectations. But I also think they're pretty well poised to meet them. You know, um, like we talked about a little bit earlier, I very nearly went with Jordan Travis as my offensive MVP just because of what he can do, both, you know, passing and running the football. Um, he's a really talented player. They also bring back their best receiver and Johnny Wilson. You know, we talked about Jared Verse. They had uh, Jaheim Bell, a really talented tight end from South Carolina. Norvell is portaled really, really well at FSU, which is kind of made up for recruiting that's been like fine but not elite um but it's really put them in a good position this year they've got a really talented roster and i think that the ceiling's really high and don't forget about that running back trey benson who right behind will shipley as one of the best running backs in the acc you saw what he did last year he was close to a thousand yards rushing he had over 1100 yards uh from scrimmage only nine touchdowns we can see that production go up but he's a guy Another guy that I would uh, pay attention to. But, yeah, I think Clemson, Florida State, it's a popular pick. It's a sexy pick, and it's probably the rematch that we're all wanting to see uh, this season because they will play each other. All right, our final segment of the College 12-pack, this one's a Notre Dame one. Will Notre Dame make it to the College Football Playoff in 2023 uh, or make it to the College Football Playoff? And I'm going to say no, not yet. Uh, When I looked at the schedule – uh, obviously, they had a lot of questions about the offense. Uh, you do have Sam Hartman, but I have questions about Gerard Parker taking over. But, Tyler, I don't know if you have looked, but this is an absolutely brutal schedule uh, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They got to play Ohio State, USC. Only caveat is those are at home, but how much is that really going to make a difference when you're going to be at those high-powered offenses? You got to go to Clemson. You got to go to North Carolina State. Uh, to me, th- this schedule is – I think they'll be lucky to win eight games. Yeah, that's it's a really unfortunate schedule for Marcus Freeman in a year that, you know, from a roster perspective, this team probably is poised to take a leap. Uh, will the schedule allow for that? I don't know. Um, but I agree with you. I'm going to say no, not yet. I think that, um, you know, one of the, I think the catch 22 when you look at Notre Dame in the playoff is you've kind of got a built in path, you know, uh, that other independents don't have, you know, if prior to joining the Big 12, if BYU went 12-0, and 0, they were not a guaranteed playoff team by any means. Um, but that was the case for Notre Dame. But I think the downside of that is you're not in a conference and your margin for error is a lot smaller. Um, 
with that schedule, I think you got to win at least 11 games probably in the regular season to be in that playoff conversation. And I just don't think that's very likely to happen. So it's going to be tough. I mean, like we've said, you know, the USC game, the Ohio State game alone, and then you add in Clemson. Uh, very, three very tough games, three teams that are probably going to be in the conversation for the college football playoff all year long. That's going to do it for our second edition of the College 12-Pack this week. Uh, For Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.